0: My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Kane. We talk about index card RPG, also known as ICRPG. We talk about one-shots, and we also talk about pacing and a bunch of other little topics along the way. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome everybody. Today I have Kane from Kane's Kiln with me. Today, welcome, Kane.
1: Hi. Happy to be here.
0: Glad to have you. Kane, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space?
1: Uh, sure. Well, I guess I'm just a uh, just this classic home GM from Utah. I've been playing in tabletop RPGs for probably a decade or so. Back in high school, I got started when my friend invited me to go questing and that was his way of describing his homebrew system. And so we would go questing every week and we'd go and do his do his game and play for a while. And then that's how I kind of got into it. And then it's just been a progression of trying my own thing, developing you know, trying my own homebrew system, dabbling in systems like low fantasy gaming or castle Falkenstein. And eventually now ICRPG is my main main system, never done any D and D officially, like from Wizards of the Coast, but yeah, now it's just playing every week, mostly online and just living the life between gaming and all the other things that happen family and jobs and just making the hobby
0: work. What was the very first system that you started in?
1: That was my friend's homebrew. He called it Dragon's Quest. Um, I don't think he knew about like the video game, but he called it Dragon's Quest. But we always just called it Questing, and so it was, it was a a system that he'd been designing for a long time. He had binders and did everything in Excel sheets, and then printed them out. And so that's that's kind of where we got my our start. And so yeah, my first character from that was a woodsman who liked to make chairs. I didn't know because <laughs> I didn't know any better.
0: That's awesome. Um, And you mentioned, you mentioned ICRPG and I'm a big fan of that. What kind of kickstarted you into index card
1: RPG? Well, the thing is, is like I said, I was, I've dabbled in some homebrew stuff and I've kind of been looking out for some systems. And at the time I was like in the middle of trying to make whatever weird amalgamation of of a system I could, and I was just looking for different resources and different things, trying to make it work. And I've stumbled on an article on Gnome Stew talking about these resources, these index cards that you could use as terrain or story elements. It was just so intriguing with the art that I picked up a copy of the index card volumes and just fell in love with them. Found out about more about Drunken's and Dragons and Runehammer and the Hankren's Channel and started watching all of that and eventually picked up the book and it was just that was the end of it. I am now neck deep in ICRPG forever (laughs) at this point and just my go-to. So all it started was just a little article that showed me some art.
0: I have said online in places before that if I had to pick one system to like if I had to get rid of every other system and just pick one to play for the rest of my life, it probably would be index card RPG because 100%. It's, just, it's so versatile and easy to both run and to mold to whatever it is that you're trying
1: to do. Absolutely. Hands down would be my same answer without question. Just because um, yeah, yeah, it really, it really can run anything and everything. And do you find that you end up doing a lot of
0: homebrew then with index card RPG?
1: Well, I mean, when it comes to Index Card RPG, it's a mindset of DIY. So when it comes to homebrew, yeah, I I do do homebrew stuff because I'm constantly building new monsters, designing abilities and and features for players that they're asking for, new situations, new mechanics for for sessions. But it's all still technically within Ice RPG because I'm just using the tool set that that it provides. I've tried to do a few things. I want to make a a supplement for a, for one of the dimensions in the the ICRPG Runiverse. I haven't gotten to it yet. It's still chewing in my mind, but but yeah, I, I I do make things and run stuff straight out of the book and here and there, but yeah, it's it's still ICRPG.
0: I guess that was almost the wrong question to ask because like you said the system is really geared towards a kind of DIY style game. You mentioned that your players have asked for new mechanics. Do you want to give an example of maybe some mechanics that you've
1: built out? Oh, that's, that's a good one. I have a a brother-in-law who likes to play uh, fighters and I, I know this is kind of the eternal question for fighters is how do you make them, how do you make them cool and and so when we were talking about it and like having ideas for his characters, it's like, okay, how do we? How about we do some kind of like coup de grace? Like if you if you drop the character within three HP of their of zero, like you can just flat out finish them. Or he loves destiny and and the idea of a a slide. You know, you're running around and you slide into into space. We we built out something like that so that when he dashes, he gets to dash and then slide a little bit further into into position and so he gets he gets to move a little farther than everyone else i've also just did a whole custom ranger character type for my sister in law who always wants to play the ranger but she wants to play the aragorn ranger and so we gave her mechanics you know like ranger sense get an insight on the timer or use nearby herbs to heal your friends you know deflect an incoming attack with a hard decks and so working with them i was able to kind of give them a better idea of what they wanted and were excited to keep playing with something a little bit more in line with what they imagine
0: right because you're taking kind of their expectations and then building the character around that and the mechanics around that versus saying, okay, well, if you want to do this thing, then you're gonna to have to, you know, do three levels in this and then dip into this other class for something. And you really can just build the character straight towards
1: what they want to to see. Exactly. And you know, I have no I have no experience with the double double dipping of the subclasses and all that. I know the references and just because I it's so ambiguous, but but I I just love that. I can sit down with my player and and think about what do you want? Okay, let me use the array of tools already baked into the system, and let's see how we can tweak them to fit what you want. And even if it's similar to something else, I can name it something else, and it works because our imaginations allow us to kind of twist what the mechanics leave out.
0: And when would you do something like that? Is this like a character creation point where you go through and build out maybe a couple of core abilities or is this over the course of play and them kind of leveling up and grabbing new abilities when does this happen
1: it depends i typically like when they first when like because i play with my family we when we first started i try just straight vanilla like i would love to give you custom stuff off the bat but let's let's get a feel for the system so that when i do pull out these mechanics and start playing with them. You're right on board with me. So if they're new players, definitely I would do it later on some t- like one piece at a time, I would kind of fill it in. But now that my, my in-laws and my family are are much more experienced players, we're prepping a campaign coming up over the winter. And so like, oh, this is the perfect time. Let's talk about your character. Let's build it as you build your character and we'll we'll start this from the get-go.
0: It sounds like
1: you maybe have
0: played multiple different campaigns. How long do those typically go?
1: Well, my personal preference like I am I'm a king of one-shots, like that's my bread and butter. But if I were to run a campaign, I will typically aim for anywhere between 4 to 8 sessions as a as an overarching arc just because anything longer than that tends to be harder to maintain. I we lose momentum. You know, my family has other commitments and so I want to get in and get out with with and have closure, a higher chance of closure than just going on and on forever. So yeah, 4 to 8 would be my campaign length and then fill in everything else with one shot.
0: Sure. And that's uh, I would say from what I've heard from other people, that's probably a little bit shorter than I've heard most people do. But I I definitely get the sentiment of, you know, that we're busy, we have other things on the schedule. So like if we can get in and in a couple of sessions, just get to all of the fun parts and then try to keep up that momentum before scheduling conflicts, you know, eat the campaign alive.
1: Yeah, because I would I would would much rather have the satisfaction of completing a campaign or an arc than the hope of and the dream of something that's this epic, this expansive, ongoing thing that that we all dream about. I'd much rather have the satisfaction of closure.
0: And so. <clears throat> When you have these, you know, shorter campaigns and you run more, I assume you then run more campaigns, Mm -hmm. what does your kind of prep go into, or maybe not necessarily prep, but like what kind of ideas go into coming up with the next campaign that you're going
1: to do? So a lot of it starts with the, the setting, like, Hey, let's get a general idea of the genre. Do you guys want to run fantasy? Do you want to run sci-fi? You want to run Ice Age, Cavemen, or, the you know, whatever. We ran, last year, we ran a Bearcats campaign, because that's what they, they thought would be fun, you know, playing as teenagers in this alien invasion in the small town. We did that. But then this year, we're we're thinking about, we're still kind of debating between a classic fantasy and maybe doing something in Blood and Snow with the cavemen. And we're kind of leaning more to the fantasy just because of the ease of access and the Lord of the Rings that have been coming out, so it's all on our mind a little bit more. But then once we decide on like the general fantasy, now we start breaking down into the subgenres. So it's like, okay, do you want do you want a big bad? Do you want like an environmental thing? Do you want like a personal vendetta? Like how how do we want to break this down into each subgenre? Going down and down until we've got that rudimentary idea of what everyone thinks is cool. And then once I have that, I'll just. I personally will just come up with what I think would be a fun first session, plan that out, run it, and then see what sticks for my players and then do build off of that for the second session and the third and the fourth until about the halfway point, if I'm imagining, like if I'm running eight about the fourth, I will have a better idea of where I'm really driving. If it's a shorter four part part one by the end of the second session, I'll, I'll know where I'm headed. Or at least I will I will make sure I know where I'm headed. <laughs> I'll force myself to know where I'm headed. And then, and then just kind of build off of that. So usually I don't know what's going to be the end until about halfway. And then I know after that point I, I drive towards that end point.
0: So your players have a lot of input uh, kind of in the setting and the initial plot hook mm-hmm. up front. And then from there you kind of build the rest out and then see through play what's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I want I want my my players to be invested in from the get-go. I don't want to have to kind of convince them to be on this adventure or to really have to fight the whys of the of the mission. Because I'm doing shorter sessions, I kind of have to cut to the chase and just make sure they all understand you are here, you are doing this. We are in agreement so this is what we're what's happening and we're committed. And then what exactly we're committed to can maybe come up with some surprises. It might twist their expectations, but the the overall commitment doesn't change. We're here to stop this thing or save this thing or do whatever. How that's going to come up over the course of the arc.
0: Right. So there's not a lot of room to dilly dally and do a bunch of side quests. It's yeah. just kind of get to the point and, and do the thing.
1: Yeah, which is good and bad. I mean you miss out on some fun side things and I don't consider it railroading. I feel it's, it ends up just being a more linear style. I know in the Runehammer kind of spaces, they describe it as the amusement park method where you've, you've brought your players to an amusement park and you have different rides all around and they have the freedom to choose what ride they go on. But as soon as they get on the ride, like they're in, on the ride you're you're strapped in you're ready to go and you're not getting off until the ride is over so that's kind of my my mentality of setting up these campaigns getting them on an arc and we're in for the ride
0: yeah and i think as a gm correct me if i'm wrong that probably makes prep and stuff a little bit easier too right because you're not necessarily trying to account for all possibilities you have kind of an idea of where things are going to be heading
1: yeah, absolutely. I I try to to kind of imagine, you know, where they might go, how to encourage them down this way and and how to keep the tension up so that it that it flows really quickly. Like it, like I said, you you don't want to get on an amusement park ride and then just kind of like lollygag through the turns. Like as soon as you set off, like you're in you know you're you're going up the hill and then you're sliding down doing the loop-de-loops doing the hard banking and so if I can make sure to keep pressure on and keep the momentum going the the, the that intensity allows players to really flow through kind of this the story in a way once you kind of get into some idle times that's when you kind of get wishy washy and it gets a lot harder so my goal is prep to keep the tension up and then just dial it in as, as the as the session goes. And do you
0: try to keep that pressure on kind of like encounter to encounter or do you have like a general kind of uh, like time pressure or something throughout the entire session?
1: Mostly from encounter to c- encounter and each each scene I, I'm trying to maintain that that pressure. I mean, ICRPG comes and encourages the use of like timers and that that high intensity moments and not letting up, letting up between scenes. And so each session and each scene has elements of time pressure. You only have four rounds before this bad thing happens. You only have two rounds before this this innocent dies. There's all these things that you have to do, but you don't have enough time to do it, so what do you choose? Oh, okay, now we're moving to the next scene. It has now progressed further. It's It's building to the climax we might alleviate some of the pressure by taking stepping away from like combat for a second, but you still can't dilly dally. It's okay, you're not gonna be fighting orcs, but you've got to climb this thing. And the longer it takes you to climb this cliff, well, the more enemies will be on the other side when you get there. And so there's there's a motivation to, to move.
0: But it might not be like physical danger or immediate danger, but there's still that pressure there.
1: Yeah. There's the ICRPGs the GM guide puts it as like threat. Every scene should have a threat. And it's not always a threat of death. It's a threat of what happens if I fail or what happens if if I don't save the day or I or don't do this thing. So every room should have some form of threatening feeling that things could get bad if we aren't successful. You know, or da- in some sense of danger as well. So, things there should be danger, not just death, but yeah, danger. Do you
0: have a like a favorite example of a threat that you've given
1: to your players? A favorite example? I mean, there's there's so many just because I where I'm using them all the time. <laughs> I know, I know. One of the most recent ones was we played a game, a post-apocalyptic game, and. We had said, hey, you guys are going into this, this mission. You are chasing after this villain called the Chemist. He's trying to make the waste even worse and poison the landscape. So you got to get in there. You finally cornered him, and you got to stop him. And then we got, th- going, we got moving through it, and we ended up in a room where they had to cross a field of acid. And it was really potent stuff. I mean, every round, not every round, every turn, would take damage if they were in it and on one side there was a there was a brute with a sniper that they had to deal with and in the next room they could hear the chemist's plan ticking down so they only had like six rounds to get from their one side of the room through the room through the acid through the brute into the next room and then whatever was left over is what they had to save the day and stop the chemist before his plan was was in was put into effect. So they knew, like, it's going to hurt us if we don't if we don't go if we dilly dally. It's going to take time and, and we're gonna we're if the more time we take here, the less time we'll have there. But the more the less time we take here, the more damage we're going to take, and that's going to be it's going to make us weaker in the next room. So there was this balancing act that they had to figure out, and they did it phenomenally. As they As they worked through it, and they saved the day right as the timer hit zero they They <laughs> saved it, and, you know, and it it was just that culmination of danger that they knew we could die, but we could also fail, and that would affect the world and And so there was that motivation really driving the the session forward,
0: well, and some of those timers too, they when you only have so many rounds. Right, if you if you had unlimited time, it'd be like, well, I just deal with, you know, we're going to figure out the best way to deal with the thug, mm-hmm. you know, minimize damage, and then we'll go deal with the chemist with, you know, as many resources left over as we possibly can have, right? But then when mm-hmm. you have, okay, if I can only move so far and around, and I've only got six, like, I might have to just ignore some of these things that are going to be doing damage to me or whatever, mm-hmm. because we don't have that kind of time.
1: Absolutely. It's that it's that difference between like it's it's important to manage resources and you know we see it in a lot of other games like you manage resources how how do you use them up over the course of the session, but it doesn't often we don't also include time management between our turns and things. But if you combine them into resource management, your health, your 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 weapons, your items, and time, your actual actions on the in the game. That becomes really intense, especially as as me as the GM, as I'm twisting and dialing in, you know, those valves to up the up the ante each round to make it really that really potent. Do you tend to roll your timers, or do you have those preset? I tend to roll them. I the, what I do end up prepping is I'll usually end up saying this timer is a D four or. This is a timer. This is a D four minus ones, or ignore ones, or this is six, or I just flat out say it's six. So that's just one of my dials is, you know, am I going to roll it or am I going to set it? Am I going to adjust it or am I not? I I respect the dice, whatever happens, that's what happens. But I try to give myself a criteria between all the different variations of how do I want this timer to feel what, what, what's going to best serve the scene in the moment, not just always rolling well
0: and even just setting a certain die size or saying it's you know a d4 plus two or whatever Mm -hmm. so that you at least know like well i'll be good on everything but if i roll a one this is going to get really weird yeah you know to control
1: that a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah you can you don't have to i you know once you understand some of the methods to, to controlling it without fudging you you do have that that ability to to manipulate them and control that in a way that you can avoid most of the really squirrely moments, like you said, this would work great unless I roll a one. I really hope I don't roll a one, and then you roll a one, and then you're kind of left to scramble. But if you understand, okay, I don't. It would work with everything but a one. Okay, how can I mitigate that in my prep? Well, I'm going to make sure I roll a D4 plus one. That completely eliminates the the result that I don't want, but I can still trust the dice to to inform the story um when you're
0: doing your when you're running like a session mm-hmm. do you have do you run that kind of like a one shot
1: yeah absolutely i mean we like one of the the best advice from icrpg and rune in general is prep one session at a time so every session should be or at least in my opinion pretty self-contained of course, like you can always call a session at any moment and say, oh, we're going to stop here and move on, roll a session end timer and say in four rounds, we're going to stop and we'll pick this back up wherever we want. But I prep each session individually so that that's what I'm focused on. And I'm trying to make sure that that session is as good as it can get. Not hoping, I don't want to do run this session and hope for my, the payoff to be Next session or the session after, I like, I want my payoff now. And then,
0: how many encounters do you typically plan for in a single session?
1: In a single session, it would probably end up being between three and five. Would probably be my my thing. Sometimes I've gone as high as like six or like seven or eight, but it really depends on what's in any, each encounter. So, like, I'm running one tomorrow morning, and I've got. Like one scene where they kind of get a chance to like look around and get the heebie jeebies as they get creeped out by the graveyard that they're in, and then they they go down and explore and they get to talk to an oracle and that's a scene and they have some challenges there, and then I have a combat scene as they get pushed into a spider den and they have to deal with waves of giant spiders, and then there's a small scene where they're getting chased out of a tunnel, being chased by these spiders, and then the final scene is. Up on the ground back in the graveyard as they're dealing with more spiders and the and the oracle who's come out. So that would be let's see, like one exploratory, like a role playing scene that's two, a combat is three, a chase is four, and then another combat is five. So tomorrow's session will be five. And
0: how do you keep the like the pacing good for that single session?
1: Hmm. So for me what I what I try to do is I try to imagine one the timers are 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 a big thing. I don't want them to kind of drag on. So I try to imagine that at most a scene will be eight rounds kind of a thing. I run usually about 2 hour one shots and so I can only accomplish I can only get through maybe 20 rounds if my players are on on point. So if I have four or five scenes, I've got to I've got to get through each scene essentially in in four rounds. And so I I know that that's my time constraint, that's my average, and then I'm using my timers to kind of push those along and noticing where can I cut things off or where can I where can I slow things down or speed things up if they're if they're going too quickly. So like tomorrow the first scene I'm trying to get done in two rounds, so I set a timer for and after at the end of the timer, something happens that pushes them into the next scene. And then the next scene, they're talking with the Oracle and I've set a timer says in D four rounds, the Oracle gets impatient and they get pushed to the next scene. So at most they'll be there for four rounds. And then the next scene, which is the big combat, I've got one timer that's going to happen and then another timer that happens after that that really starts increasing the pace a lot and driving the intensity up the longer they're there so that I can slowly you know build towards that climax that they really have to get out so at that point I'm hoping they'll be done in, you know at most like 8 rounds the tunnel I've planned for about 2 rounds each and then the final scene will be whatever's left over And so that's kind of what's going through my mind as I prep is how can I break down what's my available time space and my rounds and then planning out the encounter based off those, those levels or those limitations.
0: That's probably the most detailed I've ever heard anybody have (laughs) like the timing down for pacing. But like you said, with the timers, that is a tool for you to kind of enforce that you know, setting a max limit on how long they can spend at any any given spot. I guess yeah, that's
1: now it sounds like, man, I am pretty intense when it comes to time management, <laughs> but it helps. It it really does. Two hour sessions, that's a that's a tall order to run consistently.
0: Well, exactly. And that's all it's a lot of content to jam into only two hours. I mean, mm-hmm. oftentimes when I'm in games, it's you know, two and a half three three and a half hours probably I mean by the time you get everybody to sit down and and get loaded into the game and everything you know that takes you know 15 20 minutes and and mm. then to get rolling so being able to just like you said be on point and and hit those times is got to be somewhat difficult but also really good to keep your pacing up definitely yeah you mentioned that you have a chase scene do you have any tips for getting your players to participate in a chase scene instead of standing and fighting
1: so so for me in this particular chase scene i wanted it to be overwhelming so they can totally stand back and fight but what happens in this particular chase scene is they're running through this tunnel and they have this wave of spiders like it's an infinite number of spiders like you could you could you know blast through 20 of them you're not going to stop the chase. You may be able to delay them a little bit, but that's that's about it. So for me in this particular chase, having whatever's chasing them just be so insurmountable that it's not a question of can I kill this thing? It's it's a question of I'm dealing with the environment, which is I can't beat the environment. That's that's kind of this in this particular case. And Additionally the the threat of it has to be high enough that they recognize it. So for me, this chase these spiders, if they get if they catch up to them, it's an immediate con save, and they drop to zero. If they fail it, it's a drop to zero. It doesn't matter how much health they have, what they're doing, what their defense is, It's an immediate drop to zero. And now the question is is, can the players retrieve the body without falling themselves, or do they leave the 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 body behind? So that's the, the feeling that I'm invoking, hopefully. But when it comes to like a regular chase scene, I think there has to be a reason to run versus a reason to fight. Like we have our flight or fight mode. You have to give your players a reason that, that flying and, and that flight is the path that we're taking. If that's not there, then there's, there, there's there's no reason to have a chase. We did, I was a player in a game where we were in a we were in a combat we were in a fight and we were fighting in the streets with a bunch of archers and things like that and we could stand there and just fight all day but our our GM had put a timer that says in 6 rounds if you don't get to your car the the people that you're fighting are going to find it and they're going to completely like demolish it they're going to slash your tires they're going to drop your engine block your, you know whatever put a potato in the, in the tailpipe, who knows, but they're going to disable your car. And then you're going to be stuck in the city without a car. So our GM gave us a reason why running was the choice versus fighting. And then that turned into a chase. So that's kind of my opinion when it comes to, to chases, you gotta, you gotta, your players need to know running is the choice
0: and what so like with this spider example how much of that information about like the spider's abilities and and everything do you give them do you just flat out lay it all out on the table or oh yeah okay
1: yeah i'll i'll tomorrow so like tomorrow when i run it i will most likely you know tell them hey just so you know if they catch up to you it will be a con save if you fail it you'll drop so be aware and you know for on saying that, I there's a moment in my mind that says, well, if I didn't say that, you know, then I could they would, might actually stay in fight and I would actually be able to roll that mechanic. For me, I have to remember that just because I want them, you know, it would be fun for them to roll the mechanic. What's more fun is, is seeing that fear of knowing what would happen if this thing were to happen. And then the fun part is then trying to tempt them to risk it tempt fate or try to, to coerce them or, or, or do something else that puts that fear right in front of them. Like being, being afraid of clowns, like telling somebody you're going into this, this, this circus or this haunted house and there's clowns. And I know you're afraid of clowns. The fun part isn't, the fun part isn't not telling them that there's clowns. The fun part is getting them to go inside and then trying to get a clown to stand right in front of them. That's the fun <laughs> part. So so for me, tomorrow, it's going to be, okay, I have, I have two big treasure chests, and I'll be flat out honest, like, here are some big items that if you were to go and spend a turn looking for, you can have this epic piece of loot. And I have a mechanic that they're going to have to roll some hard decks checks or the spiders are going to reach out with their webs and s- pull somebody back, a a space and just pull them not into the spiders necessarily, but right in front of them and put those spiders right in their face. So they'll know how scary that is. And the fun part is getting them to be nose to nose with that fear.
0: That's awesome. I like that. That is a great example of, uh, and that's your treat too, right? Mm-hmm. For your, your loot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they can ignore that 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 space but the treat is i will give you and name by name these two awesome items you know you won't have to question what they are and it's like no you'll know what they are and, how, and i know they're good
0: yeah and it's not like a random roll either like hey you can roll randomly on this table and then you know maybe you'll get something good but like here's two very useful things that you guys want already
1: exactly but most likely they'll they'll ignore it because they'll be They'll be practical players, but you never know. Sometimes they have a moment of greed or a moment of of just wanting to to risk it, gamble a little, and that's, that's where you start getting some really fun moments. I like that a lot. That's awesome. You mentioned that you tend
0: to play online. What tools do you use for running your game?
1: Yeah, no, predominantly I play online. It's a lot easier for my time schedule and things like that. So I play with the index card virtual tabletop that was, it used to be the Runehammer virtual tabletop, but it got switched over to a community supported project. It's a free VTT. It's really simple. So I help with that and run that. Then I just run voice over discord and then I just use affinity photo to kind of affinity photo or two minute tabletops or some combination of the two and concept art to run, you know, to build out the backgrounds, but that's, that's about it. So, and then my journal. So I run out of a journal. I use the, the, the simple VTT and then just discord. Sure. So it's just
0: plugging in all of the simple tools. Discord is pretty common. I've used the, I think I used the Runehammer VTT before it switched over very briefly, just as a, just for a testing session essentially but i've not i've not used it in any long-term games
1: yeah i mean it is it is a very simple vtd that's the goal is to be very streamlined very straightforward basic tools basic resources and just have a campfire to kind of focus on but i enjoy that because it keeps me from getting bogged down with all the extra bits that might come about or have to fight a system. Like I'm a computer person. Like that's what I do for work. I don't want to have to fight my computer while I'm running a game. I got enough things to worry about. And so keeping things simple is really important for me to, to have these quick, really tight games.
0: When you are prepping for your sessions, what all goes into your prep and how do you put together planning for a
1: single session? It's a good one. So what I've realized as I've kind of been thinking about it for myself is I will typically start with maps. I will use the VTT, though you know, I will use the VTT as my as my initial planning to to kind of get a feel for the session. So, once I know like I'll have a I'll have a seed or something like we want to do this. It'll be a sentence or or whatever and it's like, okay, what does that actually mean? And so I'll go to the VTT, I'll go to Google, I'll start looking up background images, I'll look up for maps. I'll Draw something or do whatever, and I'll build. I'll kind of pick one piece of art and go. Okay, this feels like a really good opening. Okay, what would come next? And then go like, okay, here's this graveyard. What would be next? Oh, let's think of a crypt. And then I'll find a picture of a crypt. It's like, oh, it'll be fun next. Oh, you know, like the spider den. Okay, I'll find a spider den picture, and then a tunnel, and then back to the grave. And so, so I'll start out having my lineup of background images all in order. And then what I'll do after I have those lined up and built out or or whatever using, you know, affinity, whatever degree I want to kind of manipulate those, then I will go back and start looking at the scene and start coming up with, here's my timers, here's my threats, here's my, my treats. And I'll use the scene as kind of the back, obviously it's the background, but I'll, I'll use that to kind of lay the groundwork for the mechanics of it as I build out the story of the flow and everything. And so from there, I'll, I'll lead into the next one and to the next one. And then the next one. And because I've done, because I've done all of that together, it allows me to better flow one thing into the next and maintain that time management. I know, I know how this scene leads into the next scene. Okay. So what mechanics can promote that that movement into that next scene, or I know what's coming up. How can I foreshadow it a little bit with something else? And then yeah, I'll, I'll start working on actual details of in my journal. I'll write them down. I'll usually plot out the last things I end up doing are like the actual mechanics for the monsters and, and all that stuff. But yeah, so maps first, general mechanics. And then like monster details and things would be my general flow.
0: Yeah, I find that I kind of do a similar thing or I'll have an idea for a session. And then when I'm going to look for, you know, those art assets like backgrounds and battle maps and stuff, then it it always changes slightly because I find a cool map that's kind of like what I wanted, but it's so Mm. much cooler anyways. So then you just kind of shift everything to like, well, now we're doing this. So...
1: Yeah, no, That I love, I love letting the art kind of dictate things and the, the feeling, the feeling of players, like you want that, that suspension of disbelief. And so for me, developing the session between the art at the beginning, lets you kind of ease that transition from scene to scene really well. So it makes sense as they step from this place into this next place and this next place to this next place and we don't lose that suspension of disbelief
0: yeah they can keep everything especially when you're in an online only environment having the art and stuff kind of make sense as you flow is going to help with that and then not be like well okay imagine this you know this battle map but it's nighttime and you know these things aren't here right that gets kind of weird to try to Yeah. Like, you know, imaginarily erase (laughs) things that are on a map that you can't move. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I want I want my maps to be in a way that my players can, you know, they're staring at the screen, they're gonna look at it. So I want my I don't necessarily have to describe everything on the scene, I want that impact to be there. And I know it's a preference to kind of have maps that have a very similar art style. But I find that you can even overcome that disconnect as long as the flow into and out of the scene makes enough sense that are that your players can just get on board with what's happening and the dis the different styles isn't as jarring. Because I'll switch I'll switch from like an overhead battle map to a piece of concept art to that's in one style and then something to a different style pretty frequently and that doesn't. That doesn't bug me as long as I've planned for those transitions. Sure.
0: That is something that sometimes bothers me when I'm trying to grab images for monsters and stuff because the the style can be so different from one artist to another. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I feel a little bit stuck. But maybe this is just a message for me to not worry about that as much as long as the monsters make sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Once you have you're like, this is what it is. Now the challenge isn't finding something that fits. It's making that thing fit. If that makes any sense.
0: <laughs> yes, it does. hundred percent. Look at my questions here.
1: So I guess
0: I really like to talk about one shots apparently. Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite or a memorable one shot that you've run?
1: My absolute favorite one shot would be Orvald's Tower. It's from the magic supplement of ICRPG. I run that at least once a year. It's kind of a tradition. So it's just, yeah, that one is hands down my favorite one shot.
0: Do you want to give a little bit more detail on just like what the, kind of what the session entails?
1: Yeah, sure. So in Orvald's Tower, you start off at the top of a wizard's tower, Orvald is a evil sorcerer that you as a player you as players have been chasing and you've had many encounters with and you finally got him to the top of his tower you you had this epic battle and you start the session with Orvald's dying breath he musters up the last of his magic and he casts a curse on you and the, the the tower summons this giant maelstrom and he says you know curse be upon you and whatever everything in 15 rounds will be destroyed. If Anything inside the tower will be destroyed. And so the entire session is 15 rounds of players racing down the tower and trying to get out before the end of the the 15 rounds. And each, each level, and there's six, I think, yeah, there's about five or six different levels has a different challenge. So like your first room is trying to Un, you like move boulders and things from the exit so that you can start your descent. The second room is there's this well of souls that Orvald has kind of captured and they're, they're released and now trying to like hypnotize you and get you to jump into this well and who knows what's going to happen at that point while they're flying around and biting at everyone else. Then the next room is you end up in kind of like this large stairwell but you have to like race down there and i always do it where like their stairs are broken and there's like these rocks floating in midair and so you have to jump from rock to rock and try not to fall down and then the next room is split open with this portal to the fire realm and there's these flamekins coming out trying to burn you and you have to jump over this chasm of fire and try not to get burned to death and then my second to last room which is my favorite is the treasure room And in that room, you have this pool of treasure and gold. And if you spend the entire round in that space, you get to roll for magic, ancient, epic loot, whatever, and you just get it. So you could spend four rounds and you get guaranteed really awesome loot as you roll (laughs) on the rule table. And I do that because I want to tempt the players. Like, they'll usually get to that last second to last room with, like, seven rounds left and they're like, ah, there's only one level left. Right. And I tell them that there's only one level left. And so they're like, ah, oh, we can spend a few rounds. We don't, we might get something we need, right. But they have to spend their entire <laughs> round. And so a lot of players end up burning like three whole rounds in that <laughs> space. And then they're like, ah, oh, we, we better get going. We better get going. And then they go. And then in the last room, you have this big Avenger that can like one shot a character. You know, he's got plus eight to his rolls. Like he's, in, he's half, ma- like any damage done to him is like half magic And the door that you have to get is locked and you have to destroy these crystal. Um, and so you're dealing with this thing. You're trying to unlock the door all while the timer is slowly ticking down. And it always comes out like as a nail biter because they usually open the door with like one round left. There's always a character that's like dying in the corner, and they kind of figure <laughs> out some way to like grab the body and get him outside the door. But they risk if they roll if they roll bad, they risk dying themselves or some terrible thing pops out and they have to deal with that. And so that session just encapsulates everything that I love and that I try to replicate in my own one shots: constant pressure, dynamic room changes. You know the, the culmination coming down to the the nail biting finish within a tight, really tight bundle, you know, 15 rounds is not a lot of gameplay, but man, is it intense? Does the magic loot ever pay off? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one session they found, they found a, they, they rolled a magic. They got a crystal that could triple or kind of split. things it could do it could essentially turn any aspect of a spell into three. You could triple the damage, you could triple the range, you could triple the target number, whatever. And they just found it like sweet, we got we got it. They got down into that last room and there was four crystals that they had to break. And they were really short on time. And so they they got one but had three left and the players remembered that they had this thing and so they pulled it out. They took a lightning bolt spell, they split it into three targets, blasted all three of them with a really high roll, broke open the door, and rushed out as the tower was destroyed, all because they rolled this random piece of loot earlier on. God, this makes me want to just play in this <laughs> this one yeah. shot. It sounds like a blast. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a total blast. And, and I mean, I've had players run it multiple times. They know what's coming, and it still ends up the same thing every time. <laughs> And it's, it's just, it's just an awesome, awesome session, awesome adventure setup And I just love it. So
0: when you, you said that you play with your family, do you play with other people in and on the internet, or is it mostly family or what?
1: So in person, I play mostly with my family. My in-laws come over and we, we try to play over the winter during the year, me and my family are, we do fencing. And so we're there, we're busy with that, but over the winter it's our off season. So we end up playing on Friday nights. And, but then the rest of the year, I'm mostly playing online just because of the ease. I have to play in the morning. Like I wake up at like five in the morning to play at 5 30, and then we go until about 7 30, and then I go to work just because I want to get in, play my session, have a little bit of time. But as my family wakes up, we have breakfast together, and then I go to work. Otherwise, evenings I would never get to play because we're always doing stuff. And then afterwards, I play, I run games at a convention a local convention. I just did started it last year and it was a blast. And so now I'm looking forward to that in March. It's a board gaming convention at Saltcon and they if I run 16 hours worth of games, I get two free passes to the whole convention. And so I run those and then I get a ticket for me and my wife to come in on Saturday and we play board games the rest of the day together. That's awesome. How do you manage that many
0: games? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a lot of games. Sixteen hours worth at that convention, or just just you
0: know, in general.
1: <laughs> oh, it's like I mean, there's a lot of us. You know, how many GMs play once a week, right? That's that's typically what I end up what I end up doing is I play about once a week. So, I'm usually the, the average is I'm pl- planning for a morning session one week, and I just plot throughout the week and in my spare time or during lunch I'll. Do one step of prep or this, that, or the other, and then we'll play. And then I'll just do it on repeat. Other times I might get two games in a in a week, but that's pretty rare. But yeah, it's about once
0: a week. So okay, so it sounded more frequently than that. So
1: yeah, no, it's it's just yeah, one well once a week is my is my limit because I need my sleep.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else that you would like to chat about before we
1: head out? I am curious. So. The little that you know about me, you know, you're, you're the Dungeon Master's toolkit. What toolkit would you recommend or would you suggest a GM and Dungeon Master like I look into?
0: Oh, see, that's, that's kind of tricky because when I see this question online, a lot of times I will point back to the GM section in ICRPG because <laughs> it's just so good. But you've already found that. So how about for you?
1: Yeah, you're you kind of you stole the thunder with that DM <laughs> guide. I guess I guess for me, if if I were to step away from ICRPG, probably my my go to resource or tool is Low Fantasy Gaming. There, the that system and then the Midlands setting supplement is just a wealth of inspiration for me. Even though I don't run it, I I multiple times run adventures from that setting or that system as IcRPG just because I love them so much. And I'm I'm referring to that all the time. So low fantasy gaming and and the Midland setting both are top notch.
0: It is one of the fantastic things about a game like ICRPG where you can easily take another something written for another system and just reskin it with your mechanics and, and play in it and still use
1: mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Absolutely I have multiple 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 adventures I've I've run and they've been they've been great. Awesome. Well,
0: Kane, it's been great talking to you. Why don't you go ahead and plug your channel and your socials and all that fun stuff?
1: Sure. Yep. I've, it's been a blast chatting. You can always check out Kane's Kiln on YouTube or kane'skiln.com. Just I head over there for some good old ICRPG. Just catching up on what I'm doing as a gm you don't need to subscribe you don't need to comment you can just hang out it doesn't matter we're just in it for that fun good times but yeah love to have you hang out and tell me what's going on with with everybody going on in their their in world awesome well, it was a blast having you on it's an absolute pleasure i appreciate it Ruck.
0: thanks for listening to this week's episode of the dungeon masters toolkit podcast You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.